Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. On February 21st of 2022, Russian President Vladimir Putin gave an hour-long speech where he not only recognized the independence of two Russia-backed territories in eastern Ukraine, but also delegitimized the sovereignty of Ukraine itself. Putin expanded the idea that Ukraine's borders were drawn up by the Soviet Union's founder, Vladimir Lenin, and still exist only because of the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. After the speech, Putin ordered troops into those eastern territories under the guise of them being peacemakers. Many experts in global geopolitics were concerned, if not horrified, by the speech and invasion— suggesting it was Putin's way of rewriting history, as well as of providing a reason to launch what could become the largest war in Europe since the end of World War II. The speech came after Putin had spent months building up Russian military forces surrounding Ukraine. He's also demanded Ukraine not be allowed to join NATO, uh, the defensive alliance that currently includes 30 countries. So, how is the world responding? The NATO-Ukraine Commission met in Brussels on Tuesday, February 22nd of 2022 to address the situation. NATO Secretary Jens Stoltenberg said it will stand by Ukrainian sovereignty with force if necessary, but hoped Russia would still choose diplomacy. So, aside from a full-on war, what else are world leaders doing to deter Putin from invading Ukraine? They're imposing sanctions. So today, let's talk about what sanctions are and how they're imposed, and also what sanctions are supposed to accomplish and how they work. Very basically, sanctions are sort of economic versions of weaponry, designed to turn up the pressure on another country and its regime's leaders by hitting them in their wallets. For the article this episode is based on, Works spoke with Ellen Lapson back in 2020. She's the director of the Master's in International Security degree program and the Center for Security Policy Studies at George Mason University's Shar School of Policy and Government, and a former vice chair of the U.S. government's National Intelligence Council. She explained, Sanctions are any penalty or disruption in the normal economic relations between two countries— Usually, sanctions are supposed to target a particular bad behavior or send a signal to an unfriendly country. Sanctions often involve freezing any of the target's assets, such as real estate or funds and bank accounts, that happen to be inside the U.S., and threatening to punish any financial institution inside or outside the U.S. that does transactions for the adversary or helps in some other way. But sanctions also can take a variety of other forms as well, from interrupting international trade to closing a border to suspending arms sales. Sanctions can even be tailored to hit a specific industry or part of another nation's economy. At any rate, it's a form of what's called coercive diplomacy. Sanctions come down to this. How do you get their attention so that they're feeling some pain and give themselves incentives to change their behavior? Here in the U.S., the president has sweeping authority to impose sanctions on other countries and leaders under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977, which allows him or her to impose them, quote, to deal with any unusual and extraordinary threat. Congress has the power to hit other nations and people with sanctions as well. 
Back in 2012, for example, legislators passed the Magnitsky Act to impose sanctions against Russia. Uh, The law is named after a corruption-exposing lawyer who died in a Russian prison cell in 2009. A Congress imposed additional sanctions against Russia for an invasion of Ukraine in 2014. Given the current Russia-Ukraine crisis, President Joe Biden announced on February 22nd that the U.S. would impose sanctions that extend further than those implemented in 2014, including sanctions that will prohibit American financial institutions from processing transactions for large Russian banks. This will effectively inhibit those banks from transactions involving U.S. dollars. Leipzig explained that Congress often resorts to sanctions to avoid having tensions with another country explode into armed conflict. She said, Congress often believes, let's go carefully up the escalatory ladder. Let's express our disapproval in a resolution. If they don't pay attention, we'll then threaten sanctions. If they still don't pay attention, we'll impose those sanctions. And then we'll impose more sanctions. It's a longer continuum from peace to war. Either way, once sanctions are imposed, the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control enforces the restrictions. Of course, other countries can impose sanctions as well, though according to Leipzig, nobody utilizes the economic weapon as frequently as the U.S. does. Instead, most only want to participate in multinational sanctions, such as those imposed by the UN Security Council, which have included economic and trade sanctions, as well as arms embargoes and travel bans. Since 1966, the UN has used such measures 30 times, punishing regimes ranging from apartheid-era South Africa to North Korea. Okay, but so do sanctions actually work? Leipzig said, there's always this range of opinion about whether sanctions work or not. It depends on what your intentions were. If your intention was to punish, then just measuring the economic pain on another country is a way of saying the sanctions are working. If your intention is to truly change the behavior of the other country, you have to use a very different metric. And in that case, most sanctions fail because countries become resistant. They're willing to absorb the pain for nationalistic reasons. They don't want to concede to a more powerful country. Instead of giving in, for example, a targeted nation may find another, more powerful nation to act as its patron. For example, after the U.S. imposed a sweeping embargo on the communist regime of Fidel Castro in Cuba in 1960, the island nation relied upon trade with the Soviet Union— which for years bought Cuban sugar at five to six times the world market price as a way of tweaking the United States, its Cold War adversary. There's also increasing political pushback against the sort of sanctions that broadly target a nation's economy, out of concern that they punish the population rather than the government. As Leipzig explained, That's led to a shift toward the so-called smart or targeted sanctions, which might be designed to target a regime's leaders, but allow the country to import needed medicines. Targeted sanctions might also include arms embargoes, financial sanctions on the assets of individuals and companies, travel restrictions on the leaders of a sanctioned state, and trade sanctions on particular goods. Today's episode is based on the article, Why Countries Use Economic Sanctions to Prevent Conflict, on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Patrick J. Kiger. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang and Ramsey Young. 
for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.